Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 28th episode, the Brendan Hartley episode, and I'm here ahead of the return of F1 and the Singapore Grand Prix. It's not just the return of F1 in Singapore, though. It is also the return of me. Um, I, I had to cancel last week's episode because, let's just say, guys, I was I was very ill. I could not speak. I basically had no voice, and if I tried to, I would have coughed um, up a storm the entire episode, so there was just no way of me being able to do that. Um, but yeah, it, it honestly feels like we've had another summer break, especially for myself because I've been ill and away from the podcast. So I just took a week off um, to get better for this episode, and I am finally like just so happy that we're back. I really miss doing this. Um, but because I took the week off, this means we have a whole more to catch up on than usual. So let's get right into this preview of the Singapore Grand Prix. It's lights out and away we go. Okay, Singapore. It's been a fixture of the F1 calendar since 2008 uh, when it became the first night race in F1 history. Um, But I wouldn't be too surprised if a whole lot of people didn't know that because it's not really remembered for that at all. In fact, uh, it's remembered due to Crashgate. Crashgate's probably one of the sport's biggest scandals, uh, ironically coming after Spygate, which was a huge scandal that disqualified McLaren from the constructors in 2007. And if you think about it, in hindsight, there was also Australia 09 there, uh, was Ligate. Um, So, yeah, kind of a weird time for F1. Three huge scandals, although Ligate wasn't nearly as big as Spygate or Crashgate. Um, but yeah, if you haven't heard of any of these scandals that I'm talking about and you have no idea what are all these gates that you're talking about, Brad, I just suggest looking them up yourself. There's, they're, they're way too complex for me to even take a bit of time to break one of them down. So yeah, if you want to learn about these crazy scandals, look them up because like I said, they are crazy. Um, and we have a race to review or sorry, preview. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's Let's get back on track with that. Uh, Due to the pandemic, F1 hasn't been to Singapore since 2019. And for it not being a famous race or anything, I think it's a race that will be remembered, actually, when you you look back at it. Because not only was that Ferrari's third race win in a row that season, um, which hadn't happened for a while and I don't think has happened since. No, yeah, it definitely hasn't happened since. Um, It was also Sebastian Vettel's final win in Formula 1. And I can quite confidently say that it, it will be by the end of the season. I don't think he's going to be able to pick up a win in that Aston Martin with these six races left to go. Um, so, yeah, I think that 2019 Singapore, even though, yeah, it, it's not like it's this special race. There's a bit of drama between Leclerc, who was on pole, um, who could have won three on the bounce. Uh, obviously, he didn't really make way for Vettel, but he felt... Um, that the team kind of favored Vettel in the in the strategy of that race. But I'm kind of bringing this up because Singapore, I wouldn't say people, or at least most people, look at it and be like, yeah, this is a great track for racing, and I can't wait for Singapore. However, I would say something quite notable has happened at the past three Singapore races, something that you can look at that and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that race because this happened. In 2018, it wasn't actually the race, I guess. It was perhaps one of the best pole laps ever. And if you have Twitter, like I do, Sky Sports and Mercedes and F1, they've all posted about this because it was Lewis Hamilton's 
probably best pole lap in his career. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the best of all time in my book, but it certainly was a fantastic lap. Uh, Lewis Hamilton's W09 was not exactly suited for the track. I would say Mercedes has never really been suited that well for Singapore. They've won multiple Singapore Grand Prix, but if you think about it, Vettel's won five times here. Pretty much every track has been dominated by Mercedes in the past how many years it's been, right? Um, And Vettel has five wins here. It's easily his most successful track. Um, So I would say that Red Bull was even favored over Mercedes going into that qualifying session. Of course, that was Ricardo and Verstappen. Remember when Ricardo was a great driver? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to trigger you guys. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they were favored over Mercedes. Ricardo favored over Mercedes. I know, right? It's crazy. Um, But the Brit pulled through going three-tenths faster than Verstappen, who he actually shared the front row with, and was seven-tenths faster than Valtteri Bottas, his teammate, who I think was down in fifth in qualifying, because I believe might have even been sixth. I actually, I can't quite remember. But yeah, seven-tenths to Bottas, three-tenths on pole, and you would say that it wasn't the fastest car. It was the fastest car that season, arguably, because even the Ferrari was pretty quick. Um, but yeah, the fastest car that season, I think it's safe to say. They won the Constructors, um, and yeah, wasn't the fastest car that weekend, though. He went on to win the race, Lewis, that is. Um, I would say... 2018 was probably the least notable of the three, at least in my opinion, because it was just a qualifying moment. In 2017, though, this was a big one. And it was kind of what felt like the end of Ferrari's title hopes against Mercedes. Uh, In 2018, I would say it, it was big, but I feel like it was kind of starting to feel like it was over anyway. In 2017, though, that was certainly not the case. Uh, Vettel, Verstappen, and Raikkonen. They all crash into each other before they even reach the first corner, gifting Lewis Hamilton the win in a crucial 25-point swing in the championship after Lewis had literally just taken a three-point lead over Vettel in the previous Grand Prix. Heading into the Italian Grand Prix, Lewis Hamilton was down on Vettel in the championship. He picks up the win, takes a three-point lead, and then this happens. 25 points for Hamilton. Just a huge blow to Vettel's championship hopes. Hamilton would clinch the title just four races later with two to go. A championship that looked so close was done with two to go four races after this. So, yeah, I think the whole point of me talking about these previous Singapore Grand Prix, though, is that crazy stuff has happened here. It's kind of like when you think about it, like Azerbaijan, it's earlier in the season, so you can't have like these big title implication races usually. Um, but crazy stuff just seems to happen here. And I think that might be what the storyline is going into this race. We haven't really had that crazy race this season. I would say we had a crazy scenario at the end of the British Grand Prix with the with the safety car. And Monaco, I guess, was a... Like, yeah, I don't know. Monaco wasn't really that crazy either. I mean, yeah, Perez got his win, but he was actually fantastic that day. It was just a strategy blunder from Ferrari. I'm, I'm really trying to think of this whole season. What has been the crazy race? I mean, Hungary was kind of wild. Um, yeah, but like no, nothing has been as crazy as, say, Hungary 2021 uh, or even Russia 2021. Um, We had quite a few last year. It is hard to compare any season to last season because that was 
just a banger of a season. I think everyone knows that. Um, but yeah, I don't think that this race will have title implications because I don't think that Verstappen will win the championship here, but he actually can. It is a long shot. I guess I'll give you the stipulation. He can actually seal the 2022 Drivers' Championship with a win. He has to win. If Leclerc finishes 8th or lower, if Max wins with fastest lap, he can seal it with a Leclerc P7 or lower. Um, but yeah, no matter what, though, Max has to win. If he's 2nd in Leclerc DNFs, he does not seal the championship. Um, so... Yeah, Singapore 17 and 18 had these huge title swings for Hamilton, and a, a title could be clinched here, but I actually think if we're going to see something similar to one of the past three Singapore Grand Prix, I think it's actually going to be more like 2019, where Ferrari actually has their last reason to celebrate in a completely lost season. And that was what I thought, at least until I saw the forecast for this weekend, um, I saw people on Twitter posting that it was going to rain and there was thunderstorms and I even listened to the F1 Nation podcast today and they were saying that. Although when I checked my forecast, it said that there's a small chances for rain. So we'll have to keep an eye on that and I think rain could definitely um, probably ruin Mercedes' chances of getting anywhere close to the, the level of competition that they want and I think that would even probably benefit Max as well over Ferrari. Because on paper, this is kind of a Ferrari track. Um, so I guess what my prediction um, at this point is pretty wild to predict anyone to beat Max Verstappen at this point. Um, it's not like earlier in the season where a track like this would have Ferrari written all over it. The RB18 is just a much better car than it was at the beginning of the season. It's not this overweight straight line beast anymore. It's just a truly dominant machine. It's super well-rounded. It's better for race uh, conditions as well than the Ferrari. The Ferrari is still a good qualifier, but I don't think it's ever been on the level of the Red Bull even earlier in the season in the races. The Red Bull's just gotten so much better at everything as well, and I think Max has just really, really got uh, a feel for this car now, more so than he did earlier, which is why Perez and Max were so much closer as well. Um, but yeah, the Max is also one of the sport's greatest talents as well. And when you're and the one of the sport's greatest is gelling with a car, it's going to be extremely, extremely hard to beat him in a uh, in a normal circumstance race. So, do I think there will be normal circumstances? Because I think there's been a safety car at like literally every single Singapore Grand Prix we've ever had. I think I heard that or saw that on Twitter. Um, and I will say I will have Leclerc on pole. I think Leclerc will take another pole position, and that will be, what, nine poles for him this year? It's a pretty incredible mark, considering he's so far down in the championship. Um, but yeah, this is Ferrari's last chance, in my opinion, to grab a dominant victory. They, of course, can win another race. Their, their pace is there, but it's going to be damn hard to beat Max every single race after this. I think, yeah, this is their best chance. Um, and honestly, if it stays dry. I'm going to go with a Ferrari front row lockout. Um, however, in the race, I think it'll be a different story. I'm actually going to say that this safety car that seems inevitable to happen is going to cost Charles Leclerc huge track position. And I think that Carlos Sainz will take the win. I'm Yeah, I'm going to boldly say that Carlos wins. I think Carlos has been a lot closer to Charles as of late. 
And I think if he is able to get out in front and get good track position on Max, yes, it's going to be easier to overtake here than usual, I think, because of these new regulations. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just going to have Carlos giving Max a little taste of his own medicine from Canada where Carlos was chasing him down and Max was just cold-blooded keeping onto that lead. I'm going to say that Carlos wins by a less than a margin of one second on Max Verstappen. Or at least, if it is a margin of over a second, it's because Max kind of like lets off and knows that he has no chance of overtaking. Like, that type of scenario. I just think, yeah, Carlos is going to be beating Max to the line. Um, and it's going to be a fun one. I, I, I don't know. I have, I, have a good, I have a good feeling that Leclerc will have a good race. He's, I'm just, I just think he's going to get unlucky, and then we're going to see something a little different with like a signs win. Um, maybe Leclerc stays on the podium in P3. Maybe George Russell has a great race. I could see that as well. Um, but my actual bold prediction, it's not going to be Carlos Sainz winning the race. It's going to be all about Sebastian Vettel. Singapore Grand Prix is his track. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the king of Singapore, you know, he... he kind of checks out here because this is one of the most physical races um, on the calendar. Like, by far, I think it is the most physical race. I think you can comfortably say that. Um, and this is his last year, so I don't know. I, I don't think Seb would, would do that, though. I think that he would want to, um, you know, sh have one last great performance in Singapore at a track he's done so well in. So I'm going to say that he finishes ahead of both Alpines. Yes, I think a lot of people are looking at Fernando Alonso at this race and seeing maybe he can finish top five or even better. I'm going to say that Vettel beats him. Vettel ahead of Alonso in this race with his Aston Martin. Um, that is definitely a bold one, but I think it's possible. I think Aston's had a, a bad run here, hoping that this track will be a little better for them. Vettel was pretty solid in Monaco as well, and it's hard to compare any track to Singapore, so, you know... Let's see. Let's see. It's been so hard to predict this year, honestly. It's so hard. Um, but we have quite a bit of silly season talk, so let's get into that. So, since I took the week off, like the freeloader that I am, uh, quite a bit has happened since the last episode, especially in the driver market, of course, because it has been one of the silliest of seasons. And yes, we are starting off with the team that we just can't stop talking about in the driver market, and that's Alpine. They had a driver's test, actually. Um, just a quiet little test with three drivers. It was Nick DeVries, who actually might be driving in Singapore. I guess I didn't mention that in the preview. Uh, Alex Albon, it's still iffy whether he's actually going to be suiting up uh, in, the, in the Singapore Grand Prix. And I actually listened to um, a WTF1 podcast. I think it was like their hot takes one or whatever. Uh, someone came in with actually a really just clever thing to say, I think, was that if Nick DeVries races in the Singapore Grand Prix, it's actually going to hurt his uh, his resume, I guess, if you will. Um, and I think that's absolutely right, because if Nick just puts in this Monza performance, which, let's be honest, is the best track to come in, uh, all the junior drivers have driven this track a million times, the, the Williams is best suited for that track by far um, and he just comes in gets two points and dips everyone's going to be like whoa what could he possibly do where in the Singapore Grand Prix he basically has zero chance it also could be a nightmare because his shoulders were hurting at Monza imagine Singapore like 
he's going to have to be working his ass off this entire three-week break to be prepared for this race. And yeah, it could end in disaster, and his entire hype could just go down the drain with a horrible performance. If he finishes behind Latifi, people are going to be questioning him for sure. So I think, honestly, he has nothing really to gain, especially in a Williams at a track like Singapore. It's just not going to go well no matter what. So, yeah, I think it would be better off for Nick. Uh, of course, he gets experience, and that's a positive. But in terms of his hype, it's it's only going to get worse if he races in Singapore. So I, if I were him, I would almost want Alex Albon to be ready. However, given the circumstance, Williams is going to finish 10th in the championship. There is no reason for Alex to risk anything. So in my opinion, if I were Williams, if I were Alex, I would be taking a seat if there was even the slightest little bit of risk. Anyway... Back to the Alpine test. Nick DeVries, we don't have any of the results here, by the way. Just, th just thought I would preface that. I have no idea how these drivers did at the Alpine test. But yeah, Nick was there. Ex-Alfa Romeo driver, Romeo, I, don't, I said that super weird. Ex-Alfa Romeo driver, Antonio Giovinazzi, he was invited to the test. And I don't know why everyone's testing Gio. I mean, he was, I think, somewhat of an underrated driver at Alfa Romeo. He was super, like, forgettable. I'm sorry, that's kind of disrespectful, I guess. But yeah, just he he never really did anything special. He he had some decent P9s and P10s at times. He would have some really good qualifyings every once in a while, but he would always fall back. He'd have some great starts. Um, I know some people are like they actually love Antonio Giovinazzi's starts. Say he's one of the best starters in F1, which I I can't really back. I haven't watched all Antonio Giovinazzi's onboards. I'm sorry, guys. But, yeah, I just don't understand this one. Nick DeVries, yes, let's let's see what you have. Um, and then the next guy, Jack Dewin, your Alpine Academy driver, 100%. Let's see what he can do in, in an F1 car. Um, but speaking of the Alpine Academy, Laura Rossi, the CEO, has actually contemplated sacking the Alpine Academy um, because they never promote anyone, and they just had their best driver probably ever from their from their academy just go drive for their biggest rival. And I think you can't really blame yourself or the Academy for that. Or no, you you can only blame yourself. You can't blame the Academy, sorry, is what I meant to say. Um, they, they fumbled that bag 100%. It's not the Academy's fault. The reason the Academy fails is because, first of all, they have never, ever once promoted one of their drivers from their Academy. And two... Yes, they're a manufacturer, and yes, even Williams and Alfa Romeo have their own academies. At least they're actually promoting them. You know what I mean? And Alpine isn't exactly a... This is kind of the point that I was trying to get to, is they're not exactly like um, a big prize at the end of the day. Williams, if you're in a Williams academy, you're just hoping to get there. And for a guy like Logan Sargent, he is going to probably get a seat at Williams at some point, I think at least. And he's going to have a shot to show everyone what he's made of, even if, if it's a back marker car. That's kind of what you're signing up for. In Alpine, it's kind of this weird middle ground. Like George Russell, you sign with Mercedes, you're fine taking a seat anywhere else because there's, a, I think someone's called it like a dangling carrot or something. There's that prize at the end. You know, you can you can do three years at Williams because you know once Mercedes finally gives you that shot, you're getting in a Mercedes. Red Bull, they have the Alpha tires. They're a bit of a weird circumstance. Um, but yeah, like it's just, what is, what is Alpine good enough for? You don't want to go drive 
at a backmarker car just to drive the Alpine, it's not good enough. Like Ferrari, you're you're fine doing some years at Haas. You're fine doing some years at Alfa Romeo to get to Ferrari. Alpine, it's just uh, it's just a midfield car. Like what's the what's the hype with Alpine? You know what I mean? So yeah, I just think that they should probably just promote some of their drivers and then their academy would be fine and it'd actually probably be a more enticing place to go but at the same time if i were alpine and you never promote anyone and you don't plan on promoting anyone then yeah what is the point of an alpine academy i don't know it, it's just a strange academy i guess and it's memed all the time for never promoting any of their drivers even joe guan yu was an alpine academy driver he's driving for alfa romeo Speaking of which, I will be talking about Joe in just one second. But first of all, I guess I will quickly go back to DeVries, who seems to just be getting looked at by everyone at the moment. I think if I were to ask pundits right now, who do you think will sign DeVries? I think a lot of them would say AlphaTauri. Red Bull have been through quite this uh, weird uh, weird go here trying to get Colton Hurts. It doesn't seem like he will be getting um, exempted from the super license points requirement that he needs. Um, and Christian Horner himself says they need an interesting uh, option to allow Gasly to move on to Alpine. And of course, that would be Alpine's first choice if that came about. And I think it's still possible because DeVries is apparently interesting for Red Bull. And Williams is obviously looking at DeVries. Alpine with the test, they're looking at, De- at DeVries. So just this one performance that DeVries has, like I said, it would be a lot better to just say, hey, look what I did in Monza and not have to explain why Singapore went so wrong because let's be honest, it's going to. It just is. Like something crazy would have to happen. If he outperforms Latifi and finishes 15th, it won't be the end of the world or anything, but it's just, there's nothing to, to gain there in the Williams in Singapore. So... Yeah, no, he, he's getting looked at, and I think him at AlphaTauri would be super interesting alongside um, another person that we will mention in a second who just got retained, Yuki Sonoda. Um, and I do really do wonder if the Dutch part of it is playing any factor here. I know Mercedes is totally willing to let DeVries go wherever. He technically is their reserve driver, right? And I don't think they're bothered by AlphaTauri, which is a Red Bull kind of sister team, of course, right? Giving DeVries the shot. But yeah, I really do wonder if him being Dutch has any factor in that. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they want to give him a shot and see if they would could promote him to have a Dutch super team. Um, Verstappen and DeVries get along very well as, um, as well. So yeah, that would be very interesting to see DeVries and Verstappen together, just two Dutch drivers of the Red Bull team. That would be, yeah, they, <laughs> they already have a huge Dutch fan base. Just imagine it then. Um, but yeah, I... I would like to see DeVries and AlphaTauri. I'd like to see DeVries on the grid regardless. And I think there's also a very good chance at Williams because, of course, this happened as well while I was gone. Latifi is out at Williams. It was just a matter of time. I was a bit worried that Williams would make the weird decision to keep him. But I think after what happened in Monza, they just have no just justifiable cause to be able to keep him. So they just said, we don't have our replacement yet, but Latifi is gone. I wouldn't be surprised if they wait until they see, they, they want to like what they see with Logan Sargent, um, to see if he is even, um, an option for them. 
at the USA Grand Prix. Of course, he's he's going to be an FP1. Um, and I think that also they want to see maybe the end of the F2 championship, although I think that would be waiting just a bit too long. Um, yeah, I guess that would be waiting too long because Logan Sargent does need to finish top six, I think, to get enough super license points to be able to race an F1 with the FB1 outing. So I, I don't know who will be at Williams. I mean, I think like a guy like Hulkenberg or Giovinazzi is possible as well for like one year to give Logan Sargent just one more year in F2. I don't know. We'll see. I, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if we don't get an announcement until after USA, which would be leaving it pretty late, and you're, you're possibly allowing someone like DeVries to go to Alpha Tower and give them more time as well. If DeVries is the guy that they really wanted, though, I, you're kind of wondering what have they been waiting for then. Is DeVries must be talking to other teams, and Williams obviously is going to be most people's last choice. So, yeah, they but yep they they have basically said there's no way Latifi's coming back. He's not a candidate for next year's seat. Whoever has an interest of coming to our team, let us know now because the the vacancy next to Albon is there. Um, Sonoda he has been retained at Alphatari, and I think this is I'm going to keep this one simple. They really just had no other choice because if they are interested in Devries and letting. Gasly go they I just there's no reason to really get rid of Sonoda because if they lost Gasly they would have zero drivers so just give him another year um, he did take a step forward this year he's still super raw he's very young give him another shot if next year he doesn't I think because I don't think it was a multi-year deal or anything so just yeah next year give him one more year um, no one in F2 like Lawson maybe you could argue for but yeah, no one else in F2 um, in the Red Bull Academy really, uh, I guess, performed well enough to earn an AlphaTauri seat. So I think it makes perfect sense to just give him one more season and go from there. And the other Asian driver on the grid, Zhou Guan Yu, uh, this one I am so happy about. And this one was also a matter of time, in my opinion. They would have at least given Teo Pocher an FU1 if they were considering him at all. So... It finally happens. Joe gets retained, and it came at a perfect time because the 2023 calendar is the other latest big piece of news that the uh, F1 has has announced, and the Chinese Grand Prix is on the calendar. So Joe will be back in 2023 to race in China. That's going to be fantastic. Um, but I'm going to move on to this next segment about the calendar. I thought it deserved its own segment because... I actually have a lot I want to say about this calendar, so let's get into that. All right, there's actually quite a bit I want to say about this, and we've already been actually pretty long for a preview episode, so let's not waste any more time. Um, some tracks that we're getting, Qatar, China, Las Vegas. Um, we lose France. We keep Monaco and Spa. What do I think of all this? I, I Actually, I like Losail, but I just think it's a bit unnecessary. We have all these Middle East races already. Qatar, it's not suited for F1 cars. Um, we saw that last year with all the punctures and that weird curbing. Unless they get rid of the curbing, um, Losail is decent. It's really nothing special, and I think it's a bit unnecessary to make this record-breaking 24-race calendar. I guess I should have mentioned that. 
Um, China, however, super underrated race. So glad it's back, especially for Joey. Um, Las Vegas, that is on the calendar for obvious reasons. That is going to be one hell of a spectacle. The track map still looks a little sus. We'll see how that turns out. It might be even more smaller wings than Monza. Like, honestly, it's that's going to be all straight line speed, I swear. Um, another weird thing about Las Vegas and a couple other spots on the calendar is the travel. Like, Formula One's logistics is insane. But to go from Las Vegas to Abu Dhabi for the final in a, in a, in a double header is just so strange. And, you know, they go to Miami in May... Then they go back to Europe, and then they go to Canada in June, and then they go back to Europe, and then they do this Asian leg, and then they come back, and then they go to uh, Coda, Mexico, and Brazil. Not to mention they go to China at the beginning of the season. Well, I guess China and Australia, they're both over there. I just feel like they're, if they're, they have to keep weather into account, so Canada in June is probably a good call. You can't, you can't risk it with Canada like in September and October because you could get snow, um, especially in Montreal. So, uh, th- of course, they, they know what they're doing. It just, on paper, seems a bit strange with the travel. It's just like, well, why don't you do all the Americas at once, get them out of the way, and then you don't have to come back. And then, you know, do Australia, Singapore, um, China, Japan, do all that at the same time because you're already on that side of the world. Do all the Middle Easterns together, you know, Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, Jeddah, guitar but they're all mixed up so it's it's strange but you know i guess i'll i'll take f1's word for it i guess they know what they're doing monaco and spa have been retained we we already knew this well actually monaco was announced while i was gone wasn't it spa we knew about monaco we kind of thought it was but we weren't actually sure it's going to be around till 2025 i think monaco is a bit of a trash race i think it's a bit dead and it's not suited at all for current day Formula One cars. However, I'm actually 100% in defense of Monaco. I just think they need to sort out the TV direction um, and, you know, maybe do something a little special there. I don't know. Like, I think it would be almost a good track to try and experiment something. But even if they keep everything the same, Monaco provides the ultimate variety of the F1 circuit um, or the F1 calendar, sorry. Um, the F1 circus, maybe that's what I was trying to say. Um, but yeah, it's I, I love variety. Monaco is also legendary. It's still a part of the triple crown of motorsport, which I know not very many people go for nowadays. But it's it's just it's still a spectacle regardless. It's still the best qualifying session of the season. Um, I think this was a a, a point made by Tomo. Um, great youtuber if you don't know who i'm talking about he has said that you know it actually puts a lot more pressure on the pit team and the strategy team more so than a lot of other races because that can make or break your race just like with ferrari leclerc would have 100 won the race and he could have even had a chance with the pace that he had to win at other tracks but in monaco you blow the pit stop you blow the strategy you're losing you're you're just not winning it's impossible so I don't mind the variety at all there. And then the last piece of news, um, well, I guess I'll quickly mention with no France. I'm not too bothered. I, I do like um, every driver having their home race. I think that would be a really cool prospect. That, of course, just isn't possible. But 
for two drivers, Gasly and Ocon, to lose their home race, it is a bit weird and a poor chair. He joins the uh, the calendar, or what am I saying? The grid at some point, the calendar. What am I talking about? I guess I am talking about the calendar, but that is a just a strange mix-up. Teo Porcher, if he joins the grid at some point, he's also a French driver. That might be three French drivers on the grid. Just very, very strange. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm not too worried about it. I don't think a whole lot of other people are too worried about losing France. It's just not that great of a circuit or a spectacle. It's, yeah, I don't think many people are going to miss Paul Ricard. But anyway, the, the big piece of news that I haven't mentioned yet is the announcement of six sprint races for the foreseeable future in F1, moving up from three to six. And I have to say, on a 24-race calendar, six sprints, that's one in every four races is a sprint. That seems just a bit too much for me. Yes, I understand the appeal of sprints. It's more racing and less practice. However, I don't think we've had a single good sprint race in the six sprint races that we've had. I guess we've only had five over 2021 and 2022, except for when the FIA disqualified Lewis Hamilton in Brazil. Brazil is, I think, probably a great place for a sprint, but the sprints just aren't that entertaining to me. All it is to me is it takes the pressure off of qualifying, which when you take the pressure off of qualifying, you almost ruin it. It's still qualifying is still fun, and the drivers are going to drive on the edge. But I feel like when qualifying has a huge like it matters so much there's just it's so much more entertaining to watch when it's on a friday it just doesn't have that same feel you know carlos signs in imola he crashes out in in q2 i think it was but then he's able to just make up the places back so easily because he's in a in a great car yes sprints punish mistakes as well but no one takes them so i don't know I, i'm not crazy i'm not a crazy big fan of the sprints I like three a year. It, it gives some variety to the weekends at different points of the season. You know, have one at the beginning, somewhere, someone in the middle, and then have a sprint right near the end. I think that excites you because there's less of them, so that makes them more special. When they're one of every four, it's just like, oh, it's another sprint. Yay. I don't know. It, it doesn't do it for me. Maybe I am I'm the minority there. Six seems like a lot. Uh, 24 races, of course, seems like a lot too, which is a perfect segue to I was going to talk about what I think is the perfect amount of races. 24 seems like quite a bit. Of course, the regular F1 fan is going to want races as much as possible. However, you also have to keep in mind um, fatigue for everyone. These guys already, these guys as in pretty much everyone that works in F1, have a very hard life, I would say, uh, working in F1. So much commitment. And to do 24 races, all these triple headers that we already see, it's crazy, man. So I I think that 21 or 22, something like that, 21 is my favorite number. Well, let's go with that. 21 races would be perfect. We still get a lot for the fans. It's still manageable for um, the teams and all the all the personnel. They still get a life. They still get you know their their summer break and extra time off to spend with their families and whatnot. 24 is just, it's getting, it's a bit unnecessary. We just don't need that many races in a championship. The winner is still going to be the right winner after 21. It's not like 24 is going to, you know, give the driver who deserves the championship more chances to win. 
I don't know. What's it's the reason is money. Let's be honest. So I would say twenty one is a good amount. Um, with that being said, I was going to end it off with what I would change to make it the perfect calendar. I'm not going to go too into it and be like, I'm going to take out 11 of these countries and put in like nine or whatever. I'm going to pick like three or four changes that I would make. Um, starting with Imola, I think that was the easiest one for me to come up with and be like, yep, that can definitely be gone. Some people might like might love Imola because it's an old school track, but man, I think it's boring. I think it's crazy that we had a sprint there this, this season. I don't know who came up with that idea. Um, Plus, two in Italy is just strange. We have so many so many races in Europe. Why do we need two in Italy? We should have two in bigger countries like the U.S. Like, now we have three. We just don't need two in Italy. Monza is the way better track in Italy, in my opinion, with way more history. Imola is just unnecessary, and it's on the track. It's on the calendar, sorry, for quite a while. So, yeah, that was an easy one to take out. Um, I would also take out Qatar. Like I said, it's a bit unnecessary. It's not suited for F1 cars. Like it's, not, it's not made for F1 cars. It's not like it's not suited like Monaco. It's literally not made for F1 cars. It's made for MotoGP. And we have a bunch of the Middle East covered already. Middle East isn't that big of a part of the world. We already have plenty there. Of course, this is also money-related. Um, so I would take that one out. And actually, another Middle Eastern race, maybe I'm taking out too many. I would take out Abu Dhabi. I don't think it's that great of a track. The changes they made has have made the track better. But this is more so about actually just taking it out from being the finale if it was somewhere in the middle of the season or you know after Bahrain to start the season I'm okay with that but horrible horrible finale it should go back to Brazil so you know what off with Abu Dhabi those are the three races that bring it down to 21 and I would have to add one of these just because I'd be missing it too much if I had to pick another one maybe rotate um, Miami and Vegas so that goes down to 20 so we can add this one or possibly even two tracks. So I will mention three and I will let you guys decide which ones you think you would take uh, one or two out of these three. And I think I'm going to have to make a surprising omission here and that's Hockenheim. I love Hockenheim. Um, however, I wouldn't pick it over one of these three. And I think there's a quite obvious reason for that. There's no more Mick Schumacher, or sorry, Michael Schumacher Vettel is also gone. It's only going to be Mick Schumacher, and he's even possibly on the outs in F1. If there's no German driver, I don't think it's super necessary to have a Hockenheim. Um, we also have so many races in Europe, so I'm actually picking two races that are not in Europe. And I'm sorry, European fans. I promise I do not hate your continent. I love the European races. They're my favorite by far. I like traditional tracks over street tracks as well. Um, however, I would love to see Malaysia come back. Um, I think we've had just fantastic races in Malaysia. Another one in Asia as well. Certainly couldn't hurt, but this was the easiest no-brainer to have back. I think it's South Africa. South Africa. There's just no race in Africa, which is stupid. For a world championship, there has to be at least one in the continent. So I would definitely have South Africa back. And the other one I want to shout out that seems to go forgotten, and I think it's a brilliant track, is Turkey. I would rather have Turkey than Germany, personally. Um, but you guys let me know. I, I Maybe I'm just a sucker for Istanbul Park. It's where my favorite driver won his seventh championship, of course. That's nothing to do with it. I just think Turkey is great. I, I actually really enjoyed Bottas' domination in Turkey. Uh, Lewis and Perez with that battle was 
was insane. I, I really do think Turkey is just a great track for racing. So I would rather have it over Hockenheim, but maybe I'm crazy. You guys let me know. Um, but yeah, guys, it's it's been a hot minute since I posted on my TikTok as well. I still have a series planned on there that I announced two weeks ago. I haven't started. I haven't posted anything in like three weeks, possibly even longer because I was on my trips and everything. So it's been a long, long time, but I, I needed my voice to be able to do this series. So I had to put it on hold. Um, but yeah, I think now might be a great chance to start it. So keep an eye on that. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun when I do start that. But yeah, I figured I would announce that before I wrap up because that is going to do it for the Brendan Hartley episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 29 next week after the Singapore Grand Prix. Fingers crossed that the championship won't already be decided. Goodbye. <laughs>